Welcome once again to a breakdown of the top movies of the year this time, 2022. Joining me again this year are Cody Giefer and Aaron Heckethorn, as well as my history and film co-host Logan Denning. I will give a little bit of a spoiler warning up front here. We don't do anything too egregious, but it is just kind of a free-flowing conversation. And if we have all seen the movie, we kind of just talk about it. So you might have your finger ready on the pause button. But again, I really don't think there's anything that will ruin your appreciation of any of the movies we discuss. Between our four respective lists, we had 28 different movies to discuss. In this first part, we will discuss the first 20 of those before breaking down the top eight in greater detail in part two. You can find all my top 10 lists going back to, I think, 2009 on my website, tracknerds.com. So, let's get started. Okay, so actually, first is going to be my number 10, and I and I should say, I kind of mentioned this when we were texting, that I had a unusually high number of foreign films on my list. I, I think as it stands now, half, half of my top 10 is foreign language film uh, this year, and that does begin with uh, my number 10 film, which I feel like none of you have seen. It is Mars One. Uh, that was on Netflix. So again, I'll keep it short. I'll tell you all what's about and we can move on. So this is a Brazilian movie. Uh, it's about, oh, I did text Cody about this because the the main girl was like, just like model, eye-droppingly, stunningly pretty. So my joke was even like, if you can invest in actors, like invest in this girl now because she's going to be the next like Anadarmus out of Latin America. So it's just about this family and everyone kind of has their own little thing going on. So it's almost like, Four little movies interconnected together, all with the family. The daughter is kind of either just realizing or just becoming more open with the idea that she's a lesbian and wants to move in with her new girlfriend, but hasn't yet told her family she's gay. The mom ends up being like the victim of a internet prank where the person like pretends to have like an explosive device, but it's all just a prank. But it gives her like legit PTSD, and now she's like having struggle, uh, you know, having a struggle functioning in society. The little boy is like a soccer star, but all he really wants to do is he's like really into astrophysics. Like he's a big Neil deGrasse Tyson fan, which is kind of funny seeing Neil deGrasse Tyson clips in this Brazilian movie. And he just wants to be on the first mission to Mars, which is called Mars One. And so that's kind of where the title comes from is what the little boy kind of aspires to. And then the dad is just kind of a you know, works as works at like a rich people apartment taking care of like their pool and all their landscaping and stuff and is really into the soccer and doesn't get that his son is more interested in science than soccer because nothing's more important than soccer. And it's just a family drama from there, but just really, really well done. You kind of get where everybody's coming from and just really enjoyed it. And that's probably enough since none of you have seen it. So <laughs> we are going to move on to, let's see, this is going to be Logan's number 10, because surprisingly enough, this was only on, you're the only person to put it on their top 10. Okay, that's uh, that's actually understandable. So my number 10 is uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, directed by James Cameron. When I saw this movie, I was so blown away by the visuals that I was like, okay, the visuals alone demand that this movie be in my top 10 because I wanted to talk about it. 
but the writing was so bad. Yeah. Uh, the story itself, it sucks. It's not good. <laughs> I knew it was going to be in my top 10, but I knew it wasn't going any higher than 10. So okay. <laughs> that's I, I have it in there purely for the visual spectacle uh, and and for no other reason. The performances are not great. The writing is horrible. But the fact that there are shots in this movie where I legitimately can't tell what's real and what's not, like the CG is that good. The animals all look real. It looks like they actually shot some of this stuff underwater. I know that they didn't because they're, you know, like alien creatures, but it, it just looks so awesome. And like, it's the future of what big sci-fi visual spectacle movies are going to be. And so I, I had to put it somewhere on my list, but I I couldn't put it any higher than the bottom. Um, And actually, they did film a lot of it underwater, right? Because I've heard like Sigourney Weaver talking about she did training so she can now hold her breath for like five minutes. Like they did film it underwater, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, they did do a lot. Yeah, yeah, they did do a lot of it. Like I saw the same article about her, like how long she had to hold her breath for. And I was like, I thought that like when it's past five minutes, you have like brain, I don't know, brain stuff. (laughs) That's an (laughs) interesting... Brain damage, brain damage. Also, I have also I have COVID brains right now. So if I <laughs> stumble over words, that is why. That is why. Okay. <laughs> no, that's a good point, Cody. Because it's like if you pass out and you stop breathing for like that amount of time, I guess is the idea that somehow if it's if your body has prepared for it, you can kind of keep the oxygen circulating while not actually taking a fresh breath. I don't, I don't know. I haven't really done it. Yeah, I would. Just, uh, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, you have to train. There you go. You can train for it. So most people who have passed out and need CPR haven't trained for the lack of oxygen in that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aaron, I'm guessing you saw it too. I did not. No. <laughs> okay, you're you're not missing anything. <laughs> I I was bored, but like Logan said, it is absolutely stunning to look at. But I was also bored, and then like when they're getting sad at parts at the end, and that's not really a spoiler. I'm just like, I don't even know this dude's name. Like, I don't care what's happening. <laughs> oh. Yeah, gun to my head, I can't tell you a single character name other than Jake Soley, but I only know that one because of the first movie. Like, if, if I was just going, I, I don't know any of the character names. And yeah, the 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 uh, nothing has any emotional weight because you don't actually care about any of the characters. <laughs> but it was the first time where I was like watching a movie that had characters that were completely CG and like close-ups of their face and they don't right. look like video game face. I mean right. it looks real. So yeah, just for that alone I had I had to put it in here. No, I I get it. I I just want both and I would argue we got a version of both with Lord of the Rings where you had the story and the performances to go with the spectacle and so both can be done and James Cameron I think has basically even said he doesn't care about the story. That's just well, I mean to a point. It's very it's, obvious. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a vehicle to play in these worlds he's created, and he almost just sees. Isn't that enough? Just come play in my fish tank here that we made. Isn't that enough? And I'm like, no, it's not enough. Click. <laughs> well, he's gonna do it for like six more movies or something. So yeah, buckle up. Yeah, but I feel like we got it. We got it in the first one. No, right? Because I really liked the first. I mean, it's beautiful, obviously, but like I actually liked the storyline in it. Yeah. That was the first ever movie I bought on Blu-ray. Oh, really? Was Avatar? I just thought it was so awesome. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I gotta get it. Yeah, we all didn't have as good a taste when we were younger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, because I remember, like, I remember my mom giving me crap because I bought like the uh, the box set VHS, like the five old Planet of the Apes movies, and like the first one is pretty good. Second one's not horrible, and then they are kind of crap after that. But Okay, so next we go to Cody's number nine, making sure Cody doesn't 
change up his list from what he sent me? I did not. Okay. Um, I want to preface my entire list <laughs> by saying I every year I say I plan on watching more movies, and then life gets in the way. I moved halfway across the country this past month, so I was a little busy. My top from like six to ten are pretty mediocre movies. They just have to be on the list. So we're just going to go through them really quick because I had to make a top 10. So my number nine is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It was ridiculous, but in a fun way. It was just, a, it was a fun watch. Um, It also had Pedro Pascal in it. But basically it's Nick Cage playing a fictionalized version of himself. And it just, it was silly and goofy, but like in a fun way to watch it. That's really all I can say to it. I know Richie saw it so he can talk more about it. Yeah, I, I actually thought it was a blast as well. I did kind of keep track. So usually I just do like you guys were saying where I just put like the movies in contention on my running list this year, just almost to keep track of what I was watching. I actually did do, I put every movie from 2022. So it is it ended up about 43 movies from 2022. And I'm saying that just to say that I put uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent at 20. So in the top half, like I really enjoyed this movie it was as like cody said it was a lot of fun and it's it's you kind of just have a smile on your face the whole time it's kind of dumb but it's just a blast so i do recommend it even mm-hmm. if it's not that serious of a movie and it's kind of got all the you know funny twists and turns and stupid twists and turns but again it doesn't take itself too seriously i mean again when nicholas cage is playing himself in a movie it's not going to take itself too seriously so it's a lot of fun do you guys see it i remember seeing um ads for it I, and i'm bummed that i didn't see it i think i would actually like it a lot isn't there uh i think i've seen like either either like screenshots or maybe like clips from the trailer or something where there's like a nick cage yelling at a younger nick cage oh yeah is that a scene in the movie yeah yeah Yeah, like that's that's right up my alley i I would love that so i'm kind of kind of bummed that i didn't see it but yeah it's ridiculous it's fun (laughs) (laughs) my husband loves nicholas cage so yeah oh but yeah. yeah uh it was fun it was a lot of fun to watch yeah Hopefully he doesn't love him as much as Pedro Pascal's character in the film. No, no. <laughs> Logan's like, oh, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so this is the one of the, the next one here is the one of the first 13 here that is actually on two lists, but it's Aaron's number 10 and my number nine. So that's why we're still talking about it this early. And I did mention it to the group after I watched it. And I think Cody said he started watching it and just it, he just couldn't do it. It is Girl Picture, which, to be fair, is a horrible title. I think it has to be just some kind of mistranslation yeah. or... <laughs> uh, yeah, So because it, it, it really is just like the portrait of these girls. And so they call it Girl Picture in English. But horrible title in English. But I'm sure it works great in Finnish. So yeah, I think I mentioned before, it is about these three Finnish teenage girls, and ultimately the whole film is just about insecurities, and obviously we see them have a lot of insecurities that are typical to teenagers, but I thought it did a good job of showing those things in a way that we can still relate to as adults, and that there are those same things that we are insecure about, even if they're not exactly what the girls are going through in the film, and I just felt it was beautifully in earnest and I bought all of their relationships and they all had their very own unique thing that just kind of kept me compelled yeah I just I really really enjoyed it Aaron yeah 
Yeah, I really liked it too. I thought it was, yeah, it's just a coming of age movie, right? But it felt really yeah. authentic um, and sweet. And I liked how it focused right on the three separate girls individually, even though they were connected throughout the story throughout. Yes. Um, I wish it would have gone a little bit deeper sometimes, I guess. Like it kind of shied away, I think, from some of the like maybe more interesting, messy parts, right? That one mm. girl with her mother, like I would have loved to like oh, dwell yes. into that a little bit more. But I really did really enjoy it. I thought it was great. Right, they could have spent less time on the girls, one girl's sexual quests, right, and maybe more time with the other one who felt isolated from her own family. That almost felt like more interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. But yeah, en- enjoyed it. Enjoyed it a lot. My my theme has been. It seems like this whole year for me fell into one of two categories. It's either these slow burn family dramas, which again, my two so far, Mars One and Girl Picture, are, mm-hmm. or it's these bizarre <laughs> things like i like like one that none of us had on our list but is the best picture nominee triangle of sadness where it's just like so freaking weird but <laughs> cool and it's like it's kind of that it's it's either these crazy movies or these slow burn good dramas so okay next we are going right back to cody with his number eight all right my number eight is a movie called good luck to you leo grand it has Emma Thompson in it, and she basically is um, an older woman who her husband died a while back, and she has never had an orgasm. So she hires a sex worker because um, she had vowed to kind of like looking back on her life and wasn't very happy with the husband. Um, so she vowed to never fake an orgasm again. So hires a sex worker, and it actually ends up turning into this whole kind of like character development of her and then him also because she's at first uncomfortable with it doesn't want to do anything he's just kind of like hey this is what i'm here for i have no shame and you know she has body image issues and he's like i have no issues with that this is literally my job um so basically the entire movie is in this hotel room but she rents this room a couple different times to have him come visit they do eventually have end up having sex and then kind of towards the end she kind of gets feelings for him and obviously he's just a prostitute and that's literally just his job so he doesn't want that and so it kind of delves into that and then towards the end you know they end up having some sort of an outside relationship as just like friends the movie kind of caught me off guard because i didn't really know what to expect um i was just it was on hulu one night and i was just watched it and ended up really enjoying it laughed there were some sad moments so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if anybody else saw it. I have not. I actually hadn't even heard of it until you had it on your list, but I'm looking at the reviews here. It's a 93 slash 85. Like this is, this is yeah, solid. Yeah, I mean, it was a solid movie. Okay. Yeah. And it's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. So it's easy to watch. Yeah, I'm curious to check it out. You guys haven't seen it either? No. I have not. But it's only, only an hour and a half. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might have to, again, I was, it is kind of, you know, you know, I try to have a top 10 done before the Oscars and we are recording, you know, about a month before the Oscars here. So yeah, there's there's always room for for movement here still too. So it's uh, just because we're locking it in for this recording doesn't mean we can't. There are no rules here. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. I have eight number ones this year. Like, <laughs> we could we could do whatever we want. Remember la- last year? I think I changed my top ten during the podcast during <laughs> yeah. the recording. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I will say, dude, this is a year where I, I when we if you know if we have time for uh, honorable mentions at the end, probably because I did watch so many. This year, this was a year more than most that I really, really like a lot of the movies that I did not put in my top 10. Like, and they some of, some of them will show up on your guys' list and some of them won't. But 
there's a lot of really, really good movies here. But again, if you only have 10 spots, uh, you have to make some cuts. Okay, next up is my number eight. So this is Decision to Leave, which is, I think I mentioned it to Logan at least, if not the whole group, that this is the Park Chan-wook film from this year. So he's the guy who brought us the original Old Boy. Uh, and then the other one from, oh, about five, eight years ago, I forget, called The Handmaiden. So very, very good filmmaker, very respected filmmaker. And this is the one I cannot believe more than any other of these foreign films I saw this year that it didn't make the Oscar top five because Park Chan-wook has had so much success in the past. So this one follows a detective who's investigating a murder. This is all South South Korea. And he kind of starts to, oh, I guess, the sim- again, the simplest way, Park Chan-wook doesn't do simple, but the simplified version is he kind of gets a crush going with the wife of the victim. But it ends up being kind of this almost a thriller, but it doesn't quite go there. Mostly a drama, but you're also, like, honestly, I'm confused. Like, I couldn't actually really detail the full plot because I'm not really actually sure what happened. It's one of those kind of confusing, but also slow-paced. It actually reminded me a lot of Drive My Car from last year. That was the title, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. But the title, even the title has several layers to it because Decision to Leave kind of like simultaneously could refer to leaving a bad relationship. It could also refer to suicide. And I feel like when I was thinking about it right after watching it, I even had a third one. But like, so there's, there's different, there's lots of layers to what's going on here, which is, again, a big thing with uh, Park Chan-wook, is, if you've seen any of his other films, is uh, lots of layers. So it is kind of, I wouldn't call this one a family drama, but it is definitely another one of those slow burn dramas. It's got a little bit of mystery to it. Great, great filmmaking. Like, I would have nominated Park Chan-wook for Best Director this year from Decision to Leave. And honestly, the only reason I don't have it higher is because I was confused and wasn't sure what was happening by the end. But I also really, really enjoyed the ride, and I highly recommend it. It is kind of slow, but it's uh, fascinating. You, I think you guys would would dig it. Yeah, I actually saw it. Oh, you did? And it almost made my top 10. Except, okay. um, again, I was a little confused, especially towards the end. It wasn't as impactful as I wanted it to be, because I, mm, I didn't mm-hmm. quite understand her intention, I guess. And I was a little lost, right? Some of the coolest shots, though, from that film, like yes. some of the coolest transitions, it was beautiful. And I did really like it. I just, I think I would like it the second time. If I watched it for a second time, I know I would like appreciate it more. But I was just a little lost. like. And I, as was I, yeah. Yeah. And it may be one of those films that actually doesn't really even necessarily have answers. answers. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I rewatched it, if I would actually necessarily pick up new... Well, I'm sure I'd pick up some new things. Right. But I don't think I would all of a sudden be like, aha, I got it. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, it may not even be gettable. And I see what you're saying, where it ends with more of a whimper than a bang when you kind of maybe are expecting the bang. But yeah. And it was a big... It was a dramatic move on her end, yeah, right? But yeah. it didn't feel dramatic to me because I, I didn't know why she did it. I couldn't, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. The motivations weren't quite there. Yeah. Yeah. And visually, like Logan, you always love your cinematography in beautifully shot movies. This is right up your alley. Like you, this is just gorgeous really to watch, cool. watch this yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. This is another one that was recommended to me by you that I just didn't, I just didn't get to it in time. So maybe it would have been on my list. But yeah, this, this one, Triangle of Sadness, I think there were a couple of others that you recommended that I just, 
I just didn't get to watch. It, I mean, it's tough. Like I said, I mentioned I probably watched about 43 movies, and I still have on the other side of the spreadsheet where I have my running list, I have another like 20 to 30 movies I still didn't get to that like I'm not against watching these. And it's just a kind of a combination of some that aren't available in time or or some that are like, oh, shoot, that's still a $20 rental. I'd really like it to get down to $5 before I pay to rent it if I'm going to do all these. Like, just, just, I don't know. Just, it's just a, it's a time thing, like Cody was saying, too. Okay, next we are to Logan's number eight by my count here. Yeah, so my number eight is Bullet Train, directed by David Leach, um, who did the original John Wick. He directed Atomic Blonde, a few other um, action movies. Okay. He also directed Violent Night that came out this year, which was like oh, right. John Wick, but if Santa Claus was John Wick. <laughs> is that what it's about? Is That's that basically what it is. Yeah, it's it's an R-rated action movie uh, with... Uh, Isn't it the main, guy, the main guy's Hopper, right? Yeah, yeah. David Harbour, yeah. Well, no, no, he's Hopper in Stranger Things. Harbour, who plays Hopper in yeah. Stranger Things, yeah. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Hop, Hopper from Stranger Things plays Santa Claus. I don't care about real names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he plays Santa Claus, who uh, kills a bunch of people. I didn't see Violet Knight, uh, but I did see Bullet Train, which, uh, same director. A common theme in my top ten is just movies that I had the most fun watching. Mm-hmm. I fully understand that, like, this is probably not, you know, going to go down as some, like, cinematic masterpiece or anything. It was just a ton of fun to watch. It had fun characters, fun performances. Brad Pitt is the main character, and he's really good. But my favorite characters were the two British assassins played by Brian Tyree Henry and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. And their names are Lemon and Tangerine. And they just like bicker back and forth and it's so funny and the dialogue is like so fast and quick the setting of japan is perfect there's just like enough of a enough cultural differences where i don't know it just made it it, it was it was something that i hadn't seen before um like one of the assassins is dressed up as one of those giant like inflatable mascots the whole time it's like elevated action it's more than just a typical you know standard action movie it's also a pretty solid mystery um, for the first about half of the movie or so, which is another actually common theme in my top 10. I have a fair few uh, mystery movies in here. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's only, well, it's over two hours, but just just barely. But it, it flies by. It's just, it's a lot of fun. So as you guys sent in your top 10s yesterday to me so I could curate this order here, I was trying to figure out which ones, where my gaps were. So I, I had seen everything Aaron had sent. Logan, I had seen all but two of yours. And Cody, all but three of yours. So I did throw on, because both of the Logans that I hadn't seen were free. So like Bullet Train, I did just go ahead and throw it on just to have it playing. Because of its Rotten Tomato ratings, I just couldn't make myself sit down and stop everything else I was doing to give it my undivided attention. So I kind of only half watched it. But I definitely see the appeal that it's a lot of fun. And honestly, I say it was kind of on the background. By the last half hour, I was sitting in front of my TV and actually watching it. So like, I do I do get it. It's, it's definitely too violent for me. And I would argue maybe it seemed to be a little bit of a mess and not necessarily in a great way, you know, more like they should have cleaned this up way. But I also wasn't paying the closest <laughs> attention. Like, I don't even know what happened to John Cena's character. I just all of a sudden, at some point, it's just like, wait, wasn't John Cena in here earlier? But do you mean Channing Tatum? Yep, I mean Channing Tatum. I get those two mixed up. <laughs> yeah, Channing Tatum. He it's a he's a it's just a cameo. He's just the guy that 
Brad Pitt pays to wear his hat and glasses so that they think that he's him. And it's just played by Channing Tatum. Okay, but they, the characters kept running by him, and Channing kind of caught a couple more jokes after that too. But then we just yeah, but it's anymore. just it was just okay. a cameo. He wasn't he okay. wasn't like an actual an actual character. Okay. But and it, to be fair though, it, it it like that specifically isn't necessarily a whole. But there are it is kind of a mess. It de- it is kind of all over the place. Bad Bunny shows up for like fifteen minutes as a Mexican cartel assassin who's like trying to get revenge on Brad Pitt. And just happens to be there at the same time that he's trying to get this mission to go down. Yeah, it's it's wild, but it's it's such a blast to watch. Cody or Aaron, did you see that one? No, no I saw the trailer and it looked like one of the worst possible movies of all time. So I might have, I might, <laughs> maybe I'll give it a shot. I don't know. It, I don't know. It just looks so. I, I think I saw the trailer in theaters. I was like, oh gosh, that is not a movie I will be seeing. <laughs> I am a slave to the Rotten Tomatoes, and it's a. Uh, 54 slash 76 which hey oh man which means three quarters of audience members it's like yeah so but i i see the appeal i i, I do see see the appeal and if you just kind of turned your critic brain off this definitely wouldn't be a bad one to to kill some time with okay so let's go to and aaron basically we don't have a lot of yours here early because your movies are just more consensus uh everyone agrees with aaron's pick so that we don't get to them here early <laughs> <laughs> So next is Cody's number seven. All right. So my number seven um, is The Lost City with Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. And I'm... <laughs> hold on. No, sorry. I, that's, I also saw that trailer and I was like, I don't want to watch this at all. So. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> yes. I thought the same thing. And then I'm pretty sure, Richie, did you recommend it or say that you watched it? I, I've, I've seen Lost City. Okay. So I think you said something to me about it. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. It's on whatever streaming service. It was so much fun. Um, and I, I went in with very low expectations because I'm like, you're right. The trailer, it looked terrible. But it was fun. It was a good story. Um, basically, Sandra Bullock is this author who wrote like these romance adventure novels. And then Channing Tatum is the guy who like was on the covers of them. You know, like those romance novels, the cover, it's like Fabio, half naked with long hair. Fabio. He's basically Fabio. Yeah. 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 He, yeah, he is. And then Sandra Bullock gets like abducted by Daniel Radcliffe. Then Channing Tatum tries to go save her. And they're in basically like, I don't know, I kind of compared it to like Atl- the lost city of Atlantis, um, where they were going to. And it was a lot of fun. There's one point that Brad Pitt just comes out of nowhere and it's hilarious. So it was just a really fun movie. And um, I will say it is a 79 and an 83 on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. So it's the good version of Bullet Train. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's silly. It, yeah, it's it's just kind of again, but it doesn't take its honestly. That's the theme of a lot of these movies this year either. Like Bullet Train didn't take itself too seriously. Lost City doesn't take itself too seriously. I think when you end up with a really bad movie is when it's trying to do something that it's not capable of. And when these movies just kind of acknowledge their silliness, that's fine. I can get on board with that. Let's go. So yeah, Lost City was fun. It's uh, nothing crazy special, but it definitely has some some laughs. Inmate has some eye rolls too, but it's uh, it's fun. And it also has Melissa McCarthy in it, and that woman's just absolutely hilarious. And then her and Sandra Bullock were <laughs> hysterical together. And like Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock had really good chemistry too. So I don't know. It was, and I've said this. I've said this every year. If I my expectations going into the movie weigh so much on how I like the movie. And I know that's not like a good way to do it, but I had very low expectations going in and then it was actually fun and good. So that's why it's so high on the list. Cause it, I don't know, blew me away or whatever. Wait. So 
Bullet Train and Lost City. There's at least three actors in common. Is there more than three? Am I the only one that saw both? <laughs> I think so. Okay. I, I was just going to look up the the Lost City Wikipedia page to see. There's at least three actors in both movies. Oh, weird. That's, uh, that's interesting. It's also fun seeing Daniel Radcliffe do these kind of eccentric, weird roles. He's kind of trying to... He's trying to run as fast as he can away from Harry Potter. And so it does end up with him doing some very interesting things. Like if anybody saw the Weird Al movie and and then stuff like his eccentric billionaire genius or treasure hunter in this movie. So that's kind of fun to see. Who is the third one? You said Brad Pitt and Channing Tatum. Well, Sandra Bullock. Is in Bullet Train? Oh, at the very, very end. At the very yeah. end. I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. It's one of those things of like, I guess you could say it's a... Sp- I, don't, I don't consider a cameo a spoiler, so... <laughs> no, yeah. It's yeah. It's cameo, cameo at the very end. You hear her voice the whole time. You know it's her. True. We just don't see her till the end. Okay. So next we are up to my number seven. Yet another foreign film. So yeah, it's actually my seven, eight, nine, ten are all foreign language films here. Again, this is one, well, I guess I'll ask Aaron. Aaron's the only one that has possibly seen this. Aaron, did you see compartment number six? I did not. Okay, so another one of my slow burn dramas. This one is set in the late 90s in Russia. And our main character is a Finnish woman. She's been in Moscow staying with her girlfriend. And it's kind of a very scholarly group of people. And she's leaving Moscow to head to look at some petroglyphs up in way northern Russia. So she has to take a train that, they don't say exactly, but it seems to be like a two, three-day train ride up to northern Russia to go see these you know, ancient petroglyphs. And she gets assigned, I don't remember them actually saying compartment number six, but she gets assigned to a compartment, so I'm guessing it's number six. And she's assigned like this a roommate's not the right word, but basically this other guy, this guy is assigned as her bunkmate for like, and it's kind of weird that they had the mixed gender bunks because like right away, she doesn't feel safe. This, uh, another character even says like, do they have a factory where they make these guys? Because it's the, you know, 25 year old shaved head idiot from Russia. <laughs> like this, like the standard Russian thug from every movie you've ever seen. So let's go, so she doesn't feel safe. But then from there, it's just kind of the whole rest of the movie on the train as they are heading to these petroglyphs. The whole movie does play with your expectations. So the simple version would be like, oh, well, this guy may be more than he seems at first. But even if I were to tell you that, I'm also playing with your expectations. Like it just never goes where you think it's going to go. And it doesn't turn into a thriller or anything. It just kind of stays that slow burn drama. And it just kind of ends up being this sad sweet life affirming and against right in line with the girl picture and, and mars one and those movies that i really dug this year and for whatever reason where are the english language movies that do this because i don't i'm not seeing them it seems like the the foreign language films are killing it with these slow burn dramas i don't think movies i don't think movies that are like that are profitable enough in american culture usually the slow burn is just the you know, it's the pretense to get to something like a thriller or an action movie or a horror movie, like the the beginning, I maybe think the first right. fifteen minutes. But uh, Americans generally don't want to watch that for a you know a full length movie. I think you're right. It probably is easier to get greenlit in a in a foreign language film, and then and you can still see a, I say the A twenty four kind of indie films, but those end up being these foreign films. And you're right, yep. the Americans are just kind of maybe. That's not where the money is, so we shy away from them in general more than the foreign 
language films, which kind of makes sense. I guess I never thought about that. So if U.S. has all the money when it comes to making movies, so we're going to make the Avatars. The rest of the world is like, well, we can't compete with the Avatars, so we better make these slow burn dramas that are cheap, and they are killing it. So I, I've, I've been very impressed and pleased with seeing all these, but uh, no one else has seen it? Uh, I have something to I have something to add, though. Cody, seen compartment number six? No, um, but this should have been on last year's podcast because this movie was um, submitted by Finland for the 94th annual Oscars, and we're doing the 95th. So you're a year behind on this. It came out in 2021. Um, oh, flag on the play. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there is, a, this is the same asterisk, though, we used with, because I did double check that, with the, uh, when Aaron and I both had Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So... There's eligibility, and then there's the logistics of if I was physically not able to watch this movie, and uh, so like if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, it says release in theaters January 2022 limited release. So I was I went by that, but you're you're not wrong. That's that fair. With foreign films, especially, shoot, there was one year I I don't know if we brought it up on last year's podcast or this is me and Logan talking on our other podcast, but. You'll see, man, I, I wish I remember what movie it was. Maybe, Logan, you remember. There was some movie that was nominated. It was a foreign film, and it was nominated for Oscars in two different years, and they weren't even consecutive years. Like, it was nominated for Best Foreign <laughs> Language Film, and then three years later, nominated for Best Director. So you end up with some really weird stuff happening in the foreign I don't film. Remember, I don't remember talking about that. Again, I wish I, wish I remember what it was, but it's, that did happen. Like, I'm not making that up. I appreciate you holding me accountable, Cody, but I'm standing by this for my 2022. No, that's <laughs> Editor Rich jumping in here. The movie I was thinking of was The Battle of Algiers from 1966. It was nominated for Best Foreign Film and then two years later nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. Okay, next. Hey, Aaron gets a movie now. So Yay. this is Aaron's number seven. Aaron's number seven. Okay, I think this is actually another foreign film that was maybe released in 2021 as well. Yeah, I think it's in the same category. Yeah, so it's Petite Maman. It's the same director as Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And it's a, so it's a French film. And it's basically about a young girl and her grandma had just passed. And they're at their grandma's house packing up her belongings. And she goes and plays in the woods and she meets another young girl who you later see is basically the younger version of her mom. So it's kind of a fantasy film in that sense. And it's so sweet at first, right? Because you see them playing and enjoying each other, right? They're like acting out in the play. It's super sweet and endearing. But it also kind of shows kind of the darker or sadder things. Like you see that her mom is about to have surgery. You see that her grandma is already ill at this point in her mother's life, right? And she's also like 10 years old. And I just thought it was a very, it was a very short film. I think it was like only an hour and 20 minutes, but it was, it was such a good, and like it was so meaningful. It had such a good impact, right? Like how you see your parents, right? And seeing them as, right? Also a young, sweet, innocent girl. I, I just thought it was very sweet. I loved it. You've seen it, surely, right? Yes, I, I, okay. I've seen everything on, on your on your list. So I, okay. I really, I really, really like this movie. If it, I, I do have again, I have it at fifteen. So like, it's right. it's one of those ones I wish wish had a spot in in my top ten. I really liked it. I love the idea that this another slow burn drama, but right. then it's also basically a time travel movie. Yeah, and in a completely non sensationalist way. Mm-hmm. How does she time travel? She walks through the, through the woods this way. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like, it, it's. It, I actually kind of dig that. It's like 
you take you take the trail out your your at your grandma's house or whatever, and you walk out to the woods, and then if you go back this way, you go to the same house thirty years earlier, and then you walk right. back, and then it's the house in the present, and it's just so simple. And you think about like budget, like there's no budget to this movie. They're just in this house in the woods behind it yeah. with like three actors, but it's just so endearing and yeah, like it's it's really sweet. I honestly, I think I just wanted I wanted more, and so. If anything, I'm only discounting it because it's darn near a short film. <laughs> yeah, it was so short. It was like, yeah, I think an hour and 20 minutes, honestly. No, like, yeah. that's, count- like that's counting credits, uh, <laughs> an hour and 20, yeah. But yes, highly recommend. I think you can watch it on Hulu, too. Yeah, it was free, too. Yeah, it was, it, it didn't, yeah, it, it was, it was readily available. And uh, I know Cody and Logan, you guys aren't anti-foreign films, but we need to get you all to prioritize them more than you do. <laughs> I have one on my list. I, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No, I know. I know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Petit Maman. I love. I, lo- I love the idea of a time travel drama, and not something like again. I haven't seen it, but something like Time Traveler's Wife, where it seems to be more of like a eye roly romance. Is that correct? I haven't seen it, but uh, this was just very, very sweet and earnest, and not also what I expected. Like I kind of knew the premise that Aaron said going in, but then the film didn't actually play out quite how i expected same Uh, same here yeah Yeah. okay now we roll back over to logan's number seven okay so my number seven is a movie that i thoroughly enjoyed and rich did not like at all (laughs) it's the menu uh it's directed by mark mylod i think is how you bylod i'm not sure how you actually pronounce his last name but it uh it stars uh ray fines as a high-end chef who has this like secluded restaurant on an island nicholas holt and anya taylor joy are kind of the main characters and they go to this restaurant where it costs 1250 dollars per person to eat there and they're there with a bunch of like wall street finance bros there's like a washed up actor there's like a kind of a older you know billionaire type just rich asshole guy and then a uh, a very pretentious food critic. And so that's the everyone else in the restaurant. And then there's, well, and that's basically everyone else in the cast, except with the notable exception of um, Hong Chow, who this is, my, this is my second favorite Hong Chow performance from this year. But she's <laughs> like the assistant, like the hostess for, uh, for the restaurant. Right. And so it, it kind of, it starts out as a slow burn, like Rich likes, uh, but it very quickly devolves into a thriller and a very violent black comedy, which I loved. I thought that it expertly mixed the humor with the violence. I thought it was kind of cathartic watching, like, you know, this pretentious, like, foodie douchebag or, like, these rich assholes, you know, get fingers cut off or, like, you know, forced to kill themselves or something. Like, it was it was fun because, like, all the victims you don't really have to feel bad for because they're all horrible, horrible people. It uses um, title cards, kind of like mm. uh, like cooking show title cards um, that also add to the humor of uh, of some of the scenes. And then it also has like a an actual a, a pretty effective classist criticism, as well as a criticism of the way that, um, especially in America, it seems like we like to fetishize and consume other people's trauma. Um, and this movie definitely is a pretty poignant criticism of that as well but i i really liked it i had a lot of fun watching it it has just enough humor to keep it from being like too overly serious 
but it is definitely violent and and thrillery as well. Aaron or Cody, did you see it? I mean, I enjoyed it, not enough to put it up there, but I don't have anything bad to say about it, but nothing that blew me away. Yeah, I had a hard time. I was like, why is no one doing anything? <laughs> I don't know. I felt like the mm-hmm. diners accepted that fate. Like, Yeah, that was, was very the weird. They're like, all just like, okay, huh? okay, I guess this is happening. Well, they they kind of addressed that at the end. Like he, well, for for the first for the first part of it, it kind of seems like they don't get it, like they don't really understand. At least that's what I, I that's what I thought when I was watching it. Like they didn't they didn't understand that they were in danger until it was kind they of. They were entitled enough that they probably don't believe they're actually ever in danger. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, late. just like just like the you know, it takes them forever to kind of understand that he's basically shitting on them the entire time. Like none of them get you know, any of the, that they're the butt of the jokes. Oh, but then right. at, at the very end, he's, he even, he tells them, he's like, if you guys really tried, you probably could have escaped. You probably <laughs> could have gotten away. But deep yeah. down, you guys know that you're horrible and that you deserve this, you know, like I know that you deserve it. So I don't know what, whether or not that's a, that's a, a, an effective story element at the end to to like you know address it that way but no and i didn't enjoy this is not my type of movie but i definitely see the appeal so like logan recommended it i watched it i didn't particularly enjoy it and then i immediately texted my sister-in-law and told her to watch it so like i get the appeal and she loved it so like i understand there's an audience for this and i just also know that it's not me (laughs) anyway yeah so i don't know i just to me it felt into incongruous and i guess if you're gonna go surrealistic that you need to somehow let me know in the first 10 minutes that that's where this is going and i'm not saying i'm not against the twist but like it just seems like too big of a tonal shift and it shifts from something i was interested in into something i had no interest in and i'm like you gotta prepare me for this dude and i and i already kind of knew just based on the rebuzz around this movie but it kind of goes from i don't know I, I just thought it was too bizarre and like so all of a sudden this is like a cult and these people are brain it, it's not rooted in reality anymore and it's a dark comedy that's not funny like, other than the little title cards, there wasn't even anything funny in it, I thought. So, anyway. Sorry, I always hate when I crap on other people's <laughs> picks. <laughs> I will say, I really like the scene where, like, the Coast Guard guy comes in. Because as soon as he walked in, I, like, pointed at the TV. And I was like, he's in on it. He's in on it. And then he was. And it was great. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 grumble, grumble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Next is Cody's number six. Alright, it would not be a Cody top 10 without a Jewish comedy drama. So, that is what we have right now. It is cha-cha real smooth. I don't know why I seek out these movies, but I love them all. The movie's called Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Um, It is about this guy named Andrew. He is kind of out of school, hasn't decided what he wants to do yet. Starts um, helping throw bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. Meets this lady, played by Dakota Johnson. They kind of form a relationship together. She has an autistic daughter that he does really well with. He does not know this, but then finds out that she is actually married. So then the husband comes into the picture. So just kind of that story of them. I enjoyed it a lot. It was a good watch. It had great humor that I enjoy. Did anyone else see it? No. No. Okay. Mm-mm. It's solid on Rotten Tomatoes. It's an 86, but it's 86 slash 61. Mm, I could see the 61. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was just a good story between the two of them and then um, how she is kind of feeling, you know, trapped in her marriage and, you know, sees this younger guy as maybe a way out or whatever. And then also, you know, sees 
this younger guy that does really well with her art- autistic daughter who that she's had struggles with that before. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I recommend it. Okay. Um Aaron's number 6. Sure, yeah. So that's Tar. And so Tar focuses around Lydia Tar who's a basically a world-renowned composer, producer. I really that's really all I knew going into the film. I thought it would maybe be a story right to the, her rise to greatness. Mm. But it's the complete opposite, right? So you see her you see her fall. And I thought it was so interesting because the film like drops clues as you go on. Like I didn't know what to make of the film, especially in the beginning, but it drops clues throughout that like kind of predict the trouble that's ahead. Like the tension between her and her assistant, right? Her and her wife's relationship seems off. Like there's at one point she's like literally bullying her child's bully. And it's like very uncomfortable. But you see, like, she has such a big ego, like, her power isn't checked, right? And then all of a sudden, it just, like, falls. Um, And I just loved it. You had to be really patient with it, I will say, to get into it and really appreciate it. But the ending, when she's, like, like, composing or, like, or whatever, her very last song, and I won't give it away, (laughs) is, like, so brutal but hilarious. I mean, I don't know. Like, I saw some people thought it was about cancel culture kind of in a sense that movie but I I didn't really get that sense it was just very interesting it was nothing like I thought it would be going in the acting was spectacular as well Kate Blanchett did a wonderful job no it's this definitely is one of the another one of those slow burn dramas but kind of as Aaron hinted at you could argue it's a black comedy which is kind of weird because it doesn't ever feel like it but when you think about the opening scene where it's just fuel, you know, rocket fuel injection with her uh, pretension. Oh, yeah. But it's doing it on purpose. Like, it, it, you're not supposed to buy into her pretension. You're po- supposed to, from frame one, see her as this kind of pretentious a-hole. And then, like Aaron said, it's, it's kind of then, it's not a rise and fall story. It's a fall story. <laughs> but it's, it's a fall that takes two hours. And I appreciate, again, top-notch filmmaking, top-notch performances. For me, this was just a little bit too much of this year's Power of the Dog, where I just didn't like anybody. Mm-hmm. And oh, so, yeah, she's horrible. <laughs> yeah, no, right. And, yeah, and if I and if, and if I have the horrible character, I feel like then I need someone to root for. But I didn't have anybody to root for. So again, it's it's Power of the Dog 2.0 for for me. So I I get all the buzz around it, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I wish, and I didn't even realize this, so even think the end was funny. It almost seems to me just like. Well, yeah, that's I guess that's what you would do next. And I, if anything, to me, it almost felt insulting to that subculture. If if you're going to say that this is if this is beneath her, well, then then that's like the it feels to me like the filmmaker thumbing his nose at those people. It's she's so pretentious. That's why true, you know that's why true. it's funny. She's so, you know that's she true. wouldn't even like thought about doing that you that's know when point. she was 18 and first starting her career. Right? That was always just like from her aura right you knew she would never do that you see her go back home you know what I mean and you just yeah she's just so full of herself right that she doesn't care the life that she's destroying right along the way and so it was just like seeing her there it's like that was what she deserved in that sense because it was like the ultimate punishment for her and as we kind of realized that she's a compulsive liar and then someone I, I don't even think I picked up on this watching it myself but I think I was listening to another podcast talk about how so she mentions, is it, oh shoot, is it, it's not Sondheim. Who's she mentioned as her, uh, 
Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein, yeah. is that who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as her, as her like mentor, and then someone kind of pointed out like, yeah, she probably never met him. She's a liar. I'm like, oh, because because yeah. when she does go home, we see her putting on these tapes of Leonard Bernstein, uh, uh-huh. and it's like, oh, she just made all that up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, that is kind of interesting. So it is a fascinating character study. I just wish I had something or someone to latch onto. But yeah, brilliant performances all around. Okay, Cody's number four. So we're getting up there now. Uh, my number four is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Obviously, I like the first one. I like this one better. Oh, I like the storyline better. I thought it was more modern, too. The other one were, you know, just a bunch of rich assholes. I mean, also, these people are also rich assholes, but in, but in, a, but in a different way, I guess. Um, so, I mean, similar, you know, the Daniel Craig, he's the um, detective. Benoit Blanc. Yeah. So, I just, I don't know, you guys, I assume you all saw it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I just, I had a lot of fun watching it, um, more than I did the first one. And I know I'm not in consensus for that, because I feel like most people don't. I really like the cast with this too, with like Janelle Monet, um, Leslie Odom Jr., Catherine Hahn. Like it was really good. Dave Batista, the big old guy. Like I just and I, I like the characters a lot more in this one, and I just really really enjoyed it. And I'm excited to see what else Ryan Johnson can do with these movies. And from watching TV shows and movies, I typically lately have been getting really annoyed when COVID has gotten brought into them. Just because I'm like, come on, I've lived this for the past, what, three years? Give me give me a break. <laughs> I, I go to watch that to get a break from right. reality. Yeah. But I actually was not bothered with it in this movie. I thought they did a fine job with it. It was just a little thing at the beginning. They shoot you down the throat. No idea what that is. I wish that we. I wish it was real, <laughs> especially right now while I'm suffering from this. <laughs> yeah, e- Ethan Hawke came Ethan Hawke yeah, yeah. comes yeah. in. Yeah. Like, I, he like, shoots it with a vaccine or something yeah. down their mouth. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, it was really it, good. Was this on anyone else's list or just mine? No, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. I, I liked watching it. I just It just didn't quite live up to the first one for me. Like, I understand that there are, especially in, like, classic Agatha Christie-style mysteries like that, that there are going to be certain conveniences, but, spoiler alert for this movie, but the whole, I, I won't even say which character, but the whole identical twin thing when that happened i was like all right like i guess <laughs> it happens early enough it didn't bother me if it if, if it had happened in the final act i agree it was over an hour in well was it uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it almost feels like looking back it feels like part of the premise but yeah if it's an hour in that's probably a little late oh see i didn't i didn't mind that at, i didn't mind that at all i like that that by itself was just kind of a bridge too far for me yeah. um but i I liked. I I agree with you. I do like all the characters. I think it did a it did a better job than the first one at actually making sure that everyone was their own distinct character and that they all got mm-hmm. they they all got a. I think everyone got a little more evened out screen time, where this seems like in the first one is kind of like Chris Evans' character got a little more attention than everyone else, whereas this one it was a little more of a, a even ensemble. I liked it. I thought it was a good. I think again, it was the I liked the first one better. And it also didn't seem like a good murder mystery. I don't know. <laughs> it was like seemed obvious. I don't know. So I think had a mystery in the title, right? I don't know. I was like, oh. Um, but yeah, I did like it. It was a fun watch. Yeah. And I did hear the COVID thing is kind of interesting. So I, I was hearing someone talk about, or actually it was probably Ryan Johnson himself in an interview talking about how the Agatha, Agatha Christie stuff is intentional. 
it's not just that it happens to parallel Agatha Christie with the detective and the and the way the mystery is played out. Like he's doing that on purpose. He even mentioned that how we see Agatha Christie stories now as the, like period pieces. He's like, but they weren't when she wrote them. They were very timely. This was contemporary stuff. So some people talk about, hey, if you if you put too many contemporary references, then your film ends up feeling too dated. And then Ryan says, basically said, no, I'm doing that on purpose. I want this to be of this time. So he he's intentionally including COVID stuff. And there's current event references in the first Knives Out. Like, it's all intentional to kind of make it of this time. So I kind of, kind of respect that. And I definitely had a blast watching it. And I'm eagerly looking. You, you could make 50 of these Benoit Blanc mysteries, and I, and I will be in line. But yeah, kind of everything Logan and Aaron said. It just didn't quite crack the top 10 for me, or it didn't live up to the first one. But again, I, th- I think he could definitely hit the next one out of the park just as easily as he did the last one. And this one's still very solid. We were talking about cameos earlier. I was and, just going mean, to bring this up. If there was an Oscar for like best cameos, I think this one might take. There was a lot. Yes. There was a shit ton of cameos in the movie. And they were actually, they were pretty good too. Yep. There's some I missed too, too. Like people were talking about some. I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah. The ones I caught were Hugh, uh, Hugh Grant and then uh, Ethan Hawke. One that I wanted to bring up. So. Ryan Johnson has had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six movies, and JGL. Uh, yep, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been in all of them. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew that. That I, I do love that. So he's he's yeah. the he's the clock in this one. Yeah, the dong dong. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt's voice. <laughs> and Serena Williams is in. I it. know. Oh, that's right. There's there's that another cameo. Incredible. There you go. That's why Cody liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good. It, that was good. It, it's it's fun. It's it's definitely a lot of fun. I'm I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan. He he got screwed on the Star Wars thing. Uh, next we get to Aaron's number four. Yeah. So that was the Fable Bins. It's basically a coming of age story, right? And it's the story of Steven Spielberg, right? So it follows Sammy, who's a young boy. He's an aspiring filmmaker. And I thought this movie would solely be about the magic of movies, right? Or you know, learning to love film. But it was more about the family drama than I thought. And I did like that. It was interesting, right? Like how you see a young person, you know, coming of age and how both of their parents, who are both flawed, impact that, you know, child growing up. And, you know, you see further in the films. And yeah, there were some, it was so beautiful. The set design was gorgeous. It was such a good, like, well-made film. I really enjoyed it uh, a lot more. And I loved the end. I won't say anything about the end, mm. but I loved the end. It was awesome. But yeah, I think it was just really good. That's all I have to say about it, I guess. Did you guys see it? I did not. Uh, but it's another one that I am kind of bummed that I didn't because I heard it was really good. And uh, it also takes place in Phoenix. So yeah, part oh, of that's it. right. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Cody, you didn't see it? I have not. I chose last night. I was like, okay, I'm going to get in one more movie. And it was either that or nope. And I made the wrong decision. and i have this weird relationship with steven spielberg so i'm gonna i'm gonna attack a little bit but i'm not attacking aaron i'm attacking steven spielberg i i don't think the ending works if you've never heard of steven spielberg you're like what is this i don't i don't get it so it's for sure and again it's if an overly self okay i would compare and contrast it to belfast belfast is about kenneth branagh yeah, but it never felt self-aggrandizing in a way that I feel like the Fablemans does. And again, not that Spielberg hasn't earned it, I guess, with his resume, but it just felt a little too on the nose. And 
in general, I just always have a beef with Spielberg. Like, he does make really good movies, and he does deserve to be ranked as among the most innovative and important directors in Hollywood history. But at the same time as saying that, I also feel he's overrated and that he's like the best technician. He's an absolute surgeon with a camera. Right. But that there's something that's always a little lacking with the soul to his movies for me. And that that part always seems superficial. So it's the James Cameron thing, but maybe a little subtler where he's nailing the visuals and the technical elements and the heart just always feels a little off. And I'd rather have a petite maman where it's like the heart is spot on and we have a zero dollar budget. And so maybe it's just more about what I enjoy at the cinema. But right. I get it with the Fablemans, but I also feel like it's just everyone patting Steven Spielberg on the back and I'm rolling my eyes the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I, I get that. I, I do, especially his the his character of his mother, right? Because like, it's interesting, right? Because he's making it right. He, the director of the film, it's his coming of age story. And I thought it was done in a in a warm way, in a warm, loving way, even though like his mother was deeply flawed. So like, I do get it in some points of the film. I was like, "Uh, that's why like going in, I thought it would be like, oh, I'm an amazing, you know what I mean? Mm. Movies are awesome. Look how technically awesome I am. But I I did. I don't know. I still liked it. But I do understand that criticism. Like I do. No, and I I didn't actively dislike it. I just kind of went in expecting, you know, all right, Spielberg's gonna be one of the best films of the year again. And it's solid. Like it, I, it's still my top half here, probably too. Like I enjoyed it. But I just feel like it's, it gets like the Spielberg bump. Yeah. Do you think that maybe a little bit of that is like, uh, how you talk about like with Hateful Eight, where I was just thinking, because it's lesser Tarantino, you kind of dock it. Whereas like, same kind of thing with Spielberg, like, you know, the Fableman, it's not E.T., you know, it's not Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's still a solid movie, but maybe because it's Spielberg, you, like, want to expect more out of him? Or has he, or has he disappointed you enough times that it's, like, it's not even, you don't even feel that he way makes way more. He makes way more movies than Tarantino, obviously, and, uh... True. Problem is, though, too, I think, I feel like, Tarantino has a whiff and everyone ignores him. Spielberg has a whiff and he gets nominated for Best Director. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair. just the stuff like the post was so average you know uh the was it bridge of spies spy bridge what's the one with uh bridge of spies yeah yeah again mm-hmm. it's fine it completely forgettable like again the filmmaking is technically you know flawless but i don't care <laughs> make me yeah. care make me care steven spielberg he- he hasn't. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't like brought the magic, like uh, something like an ET or Jurassic Park. He hasn't done that in uh, decades. No, right, right. And, and yeah, like one of my favorite films of his is Catch Me If You Can because I think that oh, yeah. has a lot of the heart that mm-hmm. it's it's selecting. I would love to see a lot more of that from Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Again, same thing last year. Ow! <laughs> it's like give me a break. We is yeah. I never watched. So we're that. allowed to say Ooh. we're allowed to say that this year. Because last year that was a band. Yeah, a, remember last oh, year really? it was a band, yeah. band title. <laughs> last year it was, right. it was the movie that shall not yeah. be named. You're right. You're right. Oh, man, I'll have to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> Just bleep it out. <laughs> it's been a year. It's been a year. I can say it now. I can say yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think it's no, no, I think it's better if you just bleep it out. Yeah, but you got to bleep it out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bleep it. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. No, I, I don't know. I just, yeah, in uh. Oh, there, here's another beef I had. Again, read a little. I'll, I'll put a honestly. I'll put a warning at the beginning of the whole episode, saying like, "Hey, we'll probably get into some, some spoilers here, so take it with a grain of salt." Or have the pause button ready. John Ford showing up, 
Mm. And again, Aaron was kind of hesitant to say it. To me, that wasn't, I just don't feel like that whole story was structured correctly. So you have him go to the movies for the quote first time, and it's a younger version or proxy for Steven Spielberg because his eyes lit up like, oh my gosh, the magic of movies. But that's a Cecil B. DeMille film. And then we do see him later watch John Foreman film, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. But we don't see it have the level of jaw-dropping impact. So to me, it's like if you're going to have the big interaction with John Ford, supposed to be this pivotal moment in his life, you have to set that up earlier. That I'm like, it's how long does it take before you even realize it's John Ford? Yeah. Like, I, I feel like you have to have like this, I don't know. So it's, structurally, I thought it was a little flawed too. But of course, it's up for best screenplay because it's Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, speaking of... This might be a little bit of a tangent, but why are sequels nominated for adapted screenplays, even if it's an it's a it's a new movie? I noticed that as well. It, it kind of annoys me. I guess it feels like it should be case by case, like because right because isn't like not or Glass Onion nominated as adapted? Knives Out and Top Gun are both nominated for adapted screenplay, which I think is dumb. I think those should be original screenplays because even though yeah, technically they're sequels. The Knives Out one is there's only one character in common and they don't reference the first movie at all. And Top Gun, right. yeah, it's a sequel, but it's 30 years later. And again, it's <laughs> right. like one character in common. Well, I get two characters in common and it's its own story. Why is that not an original screenplay? I think it's right. like shortchanging those writers. Uh, we'll we'll get into it, but there's more than two characters in Top Gun. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it if, uh, or what was I going to say? If we have a biopic... They don't do that. If I write an original screenplay about a historical figure, I get an original screenplay nomination. But I'm adapting that off of that person's life. Just like, I, I don't know. I, know that's, that's, I guess that's different. But I agree with you, Logan. I thought that was bizarre. It should be, to me, it should be about the story. Where did you get the story? Right. You made up the story, then that's an original screenplay. Yeah. Because you're never, if, if you're going to say that taking Benoit Blanc and doing another movie with that same character, then there's no such thing as original screenplay. Right. If that counts as adapted, then everything's adapted from from real life or adapted from... I, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Or th- think about something like... Uh, well, Dune is, is adapted because it's from a book, but think if it, if it was an original story and you have a part one and a part two, is the part one original and the part two is adapted even though they were both written at the same time? Exactly. That sounds stupid to me. Right. That sounds very stupid. Right, right. And I, I think... It, I wonder if that's just their rules. Their rules are... If X percent of the IP is from an existing produced film or book or whatever, then by our rules, it's adapted. So I'm sure they have particular things and gray areas. And I agree with you. It's kind of a kind of a mess. Okay, now we are getting to first in a long time. That's on two lists. This is my number four, which is also Aaron's number eight. And man, I'm kind of surprised it did not make Logan's list. And Cody probably didn't see it, but it's the Banshees of Inishirin. Oh, I saw, I saw it. Oh, so okay, everybody saw it. So actually, Logan did see it, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw it. Okay, man, come on, get on board with the Banshees <laughs> of Inishirin. It's a uh, so I definitely had some issues with it, but honestly, if I did not have those issues with it, it would have been my number one film of the year. Like I really, really enjoyed this film and just the to me it was all about the dialogue again i don't the 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 beautiful cinematography is just kind of a a bonus and nothing works without colin farrell's performance 
uh, here. So I'm probably rooting for him for best in the best actor race this year. Um, his delivery of this amazing dialogue. So I'm probably rooting for it for screenplay here too. Um, just felt so fresh and original and like dialogue I had never seen. Like I want to watch this over and over again and just start boring everyone to tears with Colin Farrell quotes from this movie. Cause <laughs> I just loved listening to everything in this, in this film. And I did have some issues with how things kind of play out with the story. For those who don't know, I mean, the story is beyond simple, which again, I kind of appreciate. They're on Ireland, or sorry, it's the island of Inishirin, which is an island off the coast of Ireland. I probably butchered that. <laughs> but, uh, and his best friend, played by Brennan Gleeson, doesn't want to hang out with him anymore. That's it. That's the movie. <laughs> and it's just kind of, but why? And then lather, rinse, repeat for the whole movie, which sounds repetitive. But to me, the, I found the repetitive, repetitiveness not annoying, but actually part of its charm. And just his dim-wittedness and just kind of simple-mindedness was just, I don't know, it was just kind of delightful, but also kind of dark and heartfelt the whole way, too. The repetitiveness also kind of went to show why Brendan Gleeson's character didn't want to be friends with him anymore in the first True. place. Because he was like, True. this is just my life. All I do is go to the pub with you every day and talk about the same boring shit. He's like, I, I'm getting older. You know, I want to make my mark on the world. Right. And so that was that was kind of the... The whole, you know, the reason why he he wanted to end the friendship was to focus on his own legacy. Okay, but here's my thing with his legacy, bro. You live on an island that no one that like twenty people live on. You're not gonna li- leave a legacy. <laughs> Maybe go to the mainland and then you can actually do something. But I don't understand why you're all of a sudden being this asshole to this guy that you were friends with when it's not like you're gonna amount to anything anyways. Because his whole thing was, I want to, like, he wants to make his masterpiece or whatever. Okay, yeah, make it. No one's going to hear it. You live with 20 other people. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't want to accept that. That's, like, the whole thing. Yeah, but if he doesn't want to accept that, right. why doesn't he move? Why doesn't he go somewhere bigger? Why doesn't he, you know, move to Dublin or something where he, maybe, if he's that good, he could create that masterpiece and it would be lasting. Why stay there and do it and be an asshole to everyone? I always feel like that contradiction is actually intentional and not necessarily a flaw with, I mean... You could disagree with the decision, but I think that was intentional that it's just kind of like you said, no one's here. And then like, but then to me, everything you're saying is what kind of caused an entire like existential crisis watching (laughs) this movie, because it is kind of like nothing any of us do actually matters and none of us will ever be remembered. And I'm like, (laughs) having a panic attack. But but at the same time, though, there's there's a comfort there, though, because it's like nothing that anyone do actually matters. So. The only thing that you can do is to, you know, spend time and build memories and life with the people that you love. And that's like Colin Farrell's whole thing. A hundred percent. No, yeah. and, I, and I think that's, I think that is absolutely correct. It's the same kind of thing we think about like, oh, there's billions of galaxies and nothing matters. But at the same time, then that means everything matters. And like what we're doing right now matters. And yeah, so it's, because no no one's going to listen to this podcast either, Cody. So <laughs> it's all just for us right now here in the moment and the one or two. Hi, mom. And the one or two other people. 
actually. Yeah, I'll throw, I'll throw in Hi Dad because he does listen to it every year. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I'll also add, I'll, I, I mean, I loved it. It was dark and funny. Also, special shout out to the eyebrow acting, right? <laughs> That's like all I, it's so good. Like how he could write, like express emotions with just his eyebrows, like more so than like so many actors. Uh, I was just funny, but yeah, I really did like it a lot. And I and I love the nomination. Shoot, how many acting nominations did this film get? Was it just the three? Because Gleason got left out, right? Or he's Gleason up too? It uh, because it's Colin and then his sister and the dumb kid. Yeah, Colin, Colin for lead, <laughs> the sister. Um, oh, Gleason and the dumb kid got both got nominated. So four, four yeah. acting nominations. Okay, wow. Barry Keegan is the actor's name. It's <laughs> called the dumb kid. He's very talented. Yeah. I was referring to the character, not the actor. I wanted to talk about him, actually, because his... Have you guys seen his story? The actor? Yeah. Huh. It's uh-uh. really cool. Like, he... He did look kind of familiar. So, well, no, he... um Just his life story. He grew up foster in foster care and just house to house to house um and knew he wanted to be an actor, so... And just kind of made a name for himself, and now he's nominated for an Oscar. And so it's just really cool. He came from nothing and then is now, you know, going to be nominated. Yeah. Cool. May I, maybe I'll learn his name. Oh, this is also the year for names I'm not going to remember. Oh, see, the one I really like too. So I, I recognized uh, Carrie Condon way back from the HBO series Rome. So she's always been mm. really good and underrated. And you look like she's in a lot of stuff, but just, again, not a name that's very well known, but she's always, always solid. I, w- I will say, I guess too, like, Martin McDonough is definitely like this. This is only his fourth movie, right? So like, I'm definitely eagerly awaiting everything he does. And actually, I did listen to an interview with him where he even kind of mentioned like the existential crisis we're talking about is kind of what inspired him to realize, oh hey, I have only made four movies, or this will be my fourth movie. Maybe I should start making more movies, like. Because he's starting to have that same existential crisis about leaving his own legacy. And in some ways, he is the Brendan Gleeson character, not the Colin Farrell character, and wanting to leave behind a mark. Because I guess he's got a big background in the theater. And he's kind of said he's probably done with that because it's starting to bother him that you write a play, it's performed, and then it's gone. That he's like, um, I don't think I like that anymore. I think I want to make something that's lasting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to focus on movies now. Um, what interview was it that you saw him in? I, if I had to guess, it was gonna. It was probably with Sean Fennessy on the big picture. Oh, okay. That's just a guess. Oh, okay, because he did one with Variety that was really good. Oh, okay, no, I, it wasn't that. Yeah, and, and I see it too. It's like he he did just turn fifty during the pandemic during lockdown, so I could definitely kind of see him like, okay, it's time to time to get rolling. So hopefully that helps the rest of us all get more Martin McDonough. Uh, films in the future because i think we would all agree even if you didn't have this one in your top 10 you guys would love to see more mcdonough films going forward oh of course yeah i i uh i if i had to put this one somewhere i i just had it in my honorable mentions but i would probably put it at, at number 11 okay yeah, yeah it was just a little too strange and just not quite funny enough for me to put it in my top 10 but like you know in bruges is one of my favorite movies of all time and that's smart mcdonough um and i I think okay. uh, we've talked before. Seven Psychopaths, I really like. Three Billboards, I really like. So yeah, he's he's great, and the movie's really good. It just wasn't in the top ten. Wait, he he did Three Billboards. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's like an all time. That's an yeah. all time movie for me. That's a great one. I didn't realize that was him. 
Yeah, and In Bruges is also incredible. Yeah, so his four movies, uh, it's, you know, Banshees of Inisherin, In Bruges, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, and then Seven Psychopaths, which is the one I haven't seen. But, I mean, I still, I, I definitely need to. And it's, it's well-reviewed as well. Uh, let's see. We are next up to... Okay, another one on two lists. This is Cody's Five and My Six. So Cody's got it. Okay, now now we're getting into movies that I'm excited to talk about. All right. Uh, so the movie is Hustle with Adam Sandler, who I'm not a huge fan of, but it's a Netflix show, and he is a uh, NBA scout for the 76ers, and basically his job is to go out onto the road um, and find a future NBA star. So he does that, and he finally finds a guy, brings him back. The Sixers don't really want the guy, and I really liked a lot of it is... I mean, I love sports, obviously, so I think that's, I liked it because of that, because it had that sports in there, but I went into the movie with very low expectations, and Richie told me probably 10 different times to watch the movie, and I was like, I don't like Adam Sandler, um, I saw that LeBron was a producer, and I was like, I don't want anything to do with this movie, so I finally watched it, because at first I thought it was a documentary when I saw that it was something with LeBron that was a basketball movie, and then finally after Richie bringing it up enough, I watched it and I was like this is an incredibly good movie and for me it was cool because there's a lot of NBA players um who have past and current who had cameos and I'm sure Richie didn't catch those like I did oh right yeah but so it was cool to see those I was like oh hey I know him I know him the only thing with the movie that was not believable was Adam Sandler was married to Queen Latifah (laughs) 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 <laughs> and that would never happen in real life, let's be honest. Um, so yeah, Richie, you can go because you liked it a lot. Yeah, no, I so this, I, again, I kind of just honestly only sat down and watched it because of the reviews. This is a 93 slash 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, So I think on the surface, it's like, oh, Adam Sandler seems like he does a movie or two every year. This is another one of them. I don't watch them all. And I kind of just, again, I'm, I am kind of a slave to Rotten Tomatoes. So like, oh, you know, this is on Netflix. Sure, I'll throw it on. And it's very formulaic. It is just a standard sports movie. But the execution is unreal. Like, every performance is spot on. You know, Cody's saying the only flaw he could find is he didn't think that Clean Latifah would marry Adam Sandler. I think that relationship actually works. They, they both went to the same college and were athletes. And so I think they even say that it was like, Oh, yeah, she was a track runner, and he played basketball, and they ended up on the same bus after some competitions and just kind of stuck together in the seat and just kind of hit it off from there. And uh, so I, I thought that seemed like a, a realistic meet, meet cute for these two, and they, they would seem to have a good rapport. Yes, the real Queen, Queen Latifah probably wouldn't have anything to do with the real Adam Sandler, <laughs> but as characters in this film, I thought it totally worked. It was it was a sweet relationship, and it's not necessarily even the focus of the film, but just the basically the guy he finds in Spain is this ultimate diamond in the rough. Like he literally finds him not at the tournament he was supposed to be at, but like out playing street ball. He's like, who is this guy? And so it kind of follows maybe some predictable beats from there. But I just thought the execution was flawless. So it's a simple story. Again, I usually like the movies that are the crazy original scripts. This isn't that, but the execution was so high that I couldn't not leave it on my list, or not put it on my list, and was one of my favorite movies uh, of the year. The only flaw I would find, it always comes back to the physical things, when he was having the guy run up the hill to get in shape, and they were timing the same uh, the same distance uphill over the course of days and weeks. 
I, as a track coach, did not think that his uh, his uh, training progression was was uh, realistic. Like that's it, it, so only I would have a problem with that. Cody didn't catch it, but no, no, no I definitely saw. I definitely saw, and I was like, "There's no way he would get that fast that soon." Okay, but okay. I just kind of ignored it. Yeah, just just kind of splitting hairs there. But no, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Highly recommended it. It's basically just not higher because it is so form- formulaic. Uh, but I say that it also doesn't, it ends in a satisfying and not entirely predictable way. Is that probably a fair way to say it, Cody? Yeah, I would, I would agree. Okay. So big thumbs up, big recommend for Hustle, which is kind of not on anybody's radars this year, despite the really good reviews. I can't just, can you imagine like the life of Adam Sandler of he's gotten so famous. So he just signs this deal with Netflix and basically can make whatever he wants. He's a big basketball fan, so I'm sure that this comes across his desk. He's like, hell yeah, let's make this movie. And he gets to hang out with all these NBA players. Like, what a life. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because he is a, he is a legit NBA fan, right? Yeah. Like, oh, he's a huge ba- yeah, huge basketball fan. I mean, yeah. and then even in Uncut Gems, he got to hang out with Kevin Garnett. It's just like, right, yeah. just right. like when you get to a certain point in your life and you're like, I can do whatever the heck I want to do and just make these movies. Like, he, you know, he'll make... Uh, his stupid comedies with his buddies, like the one with, I don't know, the, I forget the name of it, but all the different parents and they made like two of them. And he's like, I just wanted to make a movie with my friends. So he just went and did it. Cause, and then Netflix right. play, pays him millions of dollars. Yeah. He's, he's doing okay for just being this, when he just kind of some funny Jewish Canadian kid. <laughs> yeah. I remember going back to like when he was first on SNL and stuff. And there was like in the nineties, I remember people like passing around like Adam Sandler comedy tapes. Like we knew him from SNL. But then there was like these raunchy R-rated tapes that were like getting passed around in the 90s in high school and stuff. And <laughs> you guys may or may not have heard some of those songs and I won't repeat them here. <laughs> but <laughs> Oh, no, I when I was a, a young lad, I would watch multiple times the uh, best of SNL Adam Sandler DVDs. Yeah, Probably actually yeah. rented them from you, to be honest. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> We did have those best of, best of SNL tapes. That's funny. We would do the same thing at the Williams's house. They had them. On, they had like they owned them on DVD, so we would watch those all the time. <laughs> okay, nice, nice. Okay, so our next three here are going back to. They only appear on one list, but they're all movies you all had high enough that I wanted to wait and talk about them here. So the order doesn't necessarily matter, other than this is just kind of how it randomly sorted here in google uh so the first one is going to be cody's number three my number three is uh bones and all um with timothy chalamet and then a girl that i don't know who she is um i went into this movie (laughs) all right oh lord okay hold on her name is taylor russell i'm sure she's a sweet girl thank you anyways i went into this movie I went into this movie knowing absolutely nothing about it. I just knew that it had Timothy Chalamet in it. Like, all right, let's go see this beautiful man on screen. So it starts out with the girl, Taylor Russell, and she goes to... We can do spoilers, right? We're good? Uh, to a point, maybe less so, because we haven't seen it. Oh, fair. Part. I forgot. Okay. I've seen it. Yeah, oh, I've okay. Because I know okay. I recommended yeah. it to Aaron. Okay. <laughs> Did Adam like it? Yes. Okay. So basically, she ends up there's cannibalism and i was just like gripped to the screen this entire movie also i saw it in theaters all by myself which was incredible so i could like generally react the way i normally would if i was sitting and watching it at home and i just was like holy shit when that first scene happened because i had no idea that's what it was i had no idea 
so this girl, she basically has to be a cannibal to survive. Otherwise, she, like, dies. So kind of vampire-y where they have to eat and have the blood, but not a vampire. Hmm. So then she basically leaves where she is. She meets someone, and then she meets Timothy Chalamet later. They have, like, a romance together. And I I just thought it was beautiful. I never thought that this love story and their common ground is cannibalism would be something that I would really enjoy. But I did. I laughed. I I cried a lot. The ending really, really got me. Um, Like, I still, like, after the end of the movie, I still just sat there in the theater for a while. Yeah, I don't, I know it's not on your guys' list, but I, and I don't really think it's a movie that Richie would like that much. I don't know about Logan. But I just thought it was beautiful, and I love this movie so much. Yeah, I will say it was actually very beautifully shot. Like, it was a really contrast, right? Obviously, you heard Cody uh, say the plot, but there's very expansive shots. It was very warm, like the cinematography, so that was beautiful. I just didn't buy the romance as much, and I don't know if it was just because I was so grossed out that I, like, couldn't get into it. The ending was impactful, I guess, but I was so disgusted that like, I just couldn't. Yeah, like, I just don't think it's a movie for me. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> no, I get what you see at the end, at, with the ending, because, I mean, there is a lot of blood and gore in that ending. It just, it, yeah. I was shocked watching it. Like, the person that came yeah. in, I just was like, holy shit, I did not expect that at all. So, and I think it was just, it was a movie that had me emotionally gripped the entire time. And like Aaron said, there's this one sh- scene where they're, like, on a hill of uh, wildflowers mm-hmm. or whatever, and it was just, it was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, you're making this sound like this is another one that I'm bummed that I didn't see, because I really like Timothy Chalamet, I like good cinema- cinematography, um, I like Mark Rylance, too. I don't know, is he, is he good? In, I mean, he's he's good in pretty much everything that he's in, but... Oh, he was, okay, I just had to look and see who that was. He was incredible. <laughs> Logan, if you like it, you have to see this okay. movie. Okay, okay. Cause, uh, and, and I don't have, you know, I don't have an issue with like the blood and the yeah. gore and the horror elements. Like the, that's actually, that's making me want to see it even more. Him. Yeah. Uh, whereas I, I don't know, you might have a tougher time convincing Rich, uh, when you say, <laughs> oh, there's a lot of blood and gore at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I would add not having seen the movie at all that like at the end of the day, what Cody's describing sounds like an amazing experience at the theater that I'm glad he got to have. And like, I think that's kind of. Mm-hmm the point of all 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 this movie watching and you know you sit down to kind of you know take a break from the real world for a little bit and i i'm kind of envious that cody got to have this uh really cool experience at the theater regardless of what the movie was so and because i think i think i only went to the movie to the theaters like three times this year and this was my first one this year to go see and it was middle of the day nothing going on nobody there it was yeah i'm so yeah it is it's not often that i say i'm glad i saw a movie in theaters just because it is so much easier to see it at home but this is definitely one of them that i am glad i saw in theaters yeah and honestly i I just for a while it was only listed as like a 20 dollar rental and i did just look after you uh mentioned it again yesterday that it was it is down to like a five or six dollar rental on amazon and i feel like i was if especially when the reviews aren't out of this world i think i was just prioritizing either cheaper slash free rentals mm-hmm. or the ones with like the, the, in the nineties on both sides. So like th- this is a respectable 82 slash 62 on Rotten Tomatoes, but that combined with the subject matter combined with the higher cost of rental, I, I just never prioritized it, but I, I do still, it's on that list of 20 to 30. I still need to get to. 
if we were making a top 10 of just original IP, this would easily be my number one. Oh, just like if only the points that counted were originality, you'd go Bones and no, all? No, no, I'm saying original IP, intellectual property. So like if it was not a sequel or that, oh, this would would hands yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like most years, this would probably have been my number one. Like most years recently in the past that I'm trying to like look back on, I think this okay. would have been my number one movie, except my uh, top two overshined it. Are based on existing yes, IP. Yes. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, now we got Logan's number three. All right, so my number three is The Whale, uh, the Darren Aronofsky movie um, this year that starred Brendan Fraser. This movie was the most emotionally impactful movie that I saw this year. Brendan Fraser absolutely murders in this movie. He is so good. It makes me, he's so good in this movie that it makes me sad that he basically hasn't worked in like 20 years. Man, it's, uh, it's it's really it's really moving, and he's getting a lot of praise for it, and rightly so. Uh, but also, Hong Chow is awesome in this. She is a little more of a uh, subtle performance, whereas you know Brendan Fraser's really swinging for the fences. And then also Sadie Sink, uh, who for uh, Cody, that's Max from mm-hmm. uh, Stranger Things. Oh, oh, I know all about Sadie. He Sink. knows. He knows. He <laughs> okay. he knows. All right, all right. <laughs> she was in Taylor's. Uh all too well 10 minute version which we will get to later all right it uh yeah this this movie is uh it's it's so emotionally devastating it humanizes the character of charlie which is Brendan fraser it humanizes him as a morbidly obese person in a way that i've never seen a movie do which you know it the movie got some criticism for being you know problematic or People didn't think that that, that that it was handled well, that it was more of a spectacle or even shaming, which I fervently disagree with. But, you know, I, I don't know if, if uh, it didn't make anyone else's list because of that. It's also, it was kind of like uh, the opposite of something like Avatar, where Avatar is like, you know, big and, you know, wide aspect ratio, big sweeping visuals. And this movie is so claustrophobic. The whole thing takes place in his apartment and it's a it's a smaller like four three aspect ratio so it's it just it's a lot more cramped yeah i the climax of this movie it hits you in the heart like a sledgehammer spoilers when i realized stop 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 okay 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 I, I didn't know that that, uh, that you guys hadn't seen it yet, so I... I, I I've, I've seen it, but I wanted to make sure that, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, we, we all right. We can talk later. <laughs> then I won't, all right, I, I, won't do the, I won't do the spoiler thing, but um, yeah, the, at, at the climax of the movie, the last, the last 15 minutes, I was like, I was kind of tearing up. The last five minutes, I, and I was watching this movie in a theater with other people sitting next to my wife, and I was ugly crying. I was like bawling. It was, man... I don't know that I've ever that I've ever felt that way watching a movie before. I wish I could I wish I could talk about it more, but I don't I don't want to get into spoilers because the yeah, the ending is just it's just that good. Um so I have a couple movies that are not in my top ten that I have a whole called awards for something that they still did the best of the year. So with with the whale, and again, this it's a soft outside of my top ten, but I, I had it just outside and probably like number twelve. This is even a movie, movie Logan. I mentioned like 
I kind of had it at my number 10 for a long time and wanted to keep it on my top 10. And I just kind of, and I even had like movies that like would go from nine to 11 just to keep it the well at number 10. And then at some point I was just like, okay, I got, I got to kind of bump it, but it has the best last 30 seconds of any movie this year, hands down. A hundred percent. Like, yeah. So, and I, again, it's tough for us. We don't necessarily have a duck, but it's, I mean, frankly, we don't know a lot of people who are, you know, in excess of 500 pounds or whatever Charlie is supposed to be here. And so it is, it is, uh, it's hard for us to say it's not shaming when we don't necessarily live that day to day. But I do think it is respectful. I, I do think, you know, as, as someone active and athletic, it's easy to maybe see someone who's on the opposite end of, say, the fitness spectrum and so far the, and so, to the point that they have severe health issues because of it and be like, oh, that's their fault. And I think this movie does a great job of humanizing people in that situation and making you understand, well, one, if when you're at, at some point, if he's using food as a coping mechanism for depression, that it's a mental health issue and that there are obviously the, the health consequences that are around and to what degree do people in his life try to help him or enable his behavior and the film deals with all that in a very interesting way. So it's great. I mean, again, I've I've been an Aronofsky fan for, you know, a couple of decades at this point, and I feel like he hasn't made anything that I respected and appreciated as much uh, as this one in a long time. So I did really, really like it. It's definitely one of my honorable mentions. Uh, I and, and honestly, the only reason I think it ultimately didn't make my top 10 is it is a tough watch. This is not a fun movie. No. Like, at all. No. This is not a good time. <laughs> Although our next movie is uh, of Aaron's is going to be oh, very yeah. much the the same thing here. So yeah, since you guys haven't seen it, if Logan's good, we can probably move right on. Logan, I did just I wanted to mention okay. two more things. Uh, one, it it also is in addition to Brendan Fraser and Hong Chow getting nominated for acting, it's also nominated for best makeup and hairstyling. Uh, and I think that well, the lion's share of that is because of the the suit. And the makeup that Brendan Fraser has, which yes. um, I thought was amazing. A lot of the times when you see, and I, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever seen someone like be in a, a quote unquote fat suit like that, where it wasn't played for comedic effect. And apparently that yes. was one of the biggest challenges when they were, you know, casting or when they were, when they were uh, making the movie is that they didn't, they didn't want it to come off as comedic or disrespectful and they didn't want it to look fake. They didn't want it to look like it was Brendan Fraser wearing a fat suit. They just wanted to have a character of Charlie. Um, and I think that they knocked it out of the park. Also, going back to the comment that you made about um, him being humanized, I don't think that anyone watches this movie and thinks, oh, Charlie's just lazy. Oh, it's he, it's his fault that he's right. fat. When, right. you, when you watch this movie, you 100% empathize with him. And yeah, you, you know, it's like, it portrays his obesity more as a a product of a mental health issue that is also kind of exacerbated by the fact that he's a recluse and, you know, the fact that he's kind of abandoned by everyone that he loves um, and that only makes it worse and it, he ends up in this vicious cycle. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that anyone could watch this and say that that character is only fat because he chooses to be or because he's just lazy or oh if he really wanted to he could just you know he could lose the weight it truly it, it's a good illustration of someone who truly does not have a choice yes absolutely well said also real quick talk about a comeback story brendan fraser well yes yeah mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's and that's that's why it's it's neat to see how receptive or how much Hollywood has embraced him this year. And you are getting a little pushback from the people who are on the on the fat shaming argument side of this. But in general, you're seeing a lot of love for Brendan Fraser. And then, yeah, like you said, that or I think we're hinting at is the only reason he disappeared is because he was wasn't it like basically an early Me Too kind of thing? And instead of the person who harassed him getting in trouble, Brendan got basically blacklisted. Mm-hmm. It was instead. like a reverse, yeah, a reverse Me Too. Yeah, I, reverse Me Too. I forget right, the guy's. Right. I forget the guy's name, but he was the he was like the head of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, That's right. which is the organization who's in charge of the Golden Globes. Right. Yeah, he assaulted okay. uh, Brendan Fraser. Oh, allegedly. He. I let me throw that well, out there right. for. Uh, we don't want to get for sued. the lawyers. <laughs> for the lawyers, right? Fraser makes the accusations, and then he disappears. True. Right. Yeah, he's in stuff coming up too. Like he's coming back. Um, I mean, he's in Killers of the Fire Moon, which is a Scorsese for next year. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and, and he was he was good. So he kind of made his his uh you know breakthrough early on in the '90s doing these kind of comedies. But there were some signs of uh, dramatic chops. Uh, one that's, that comes to mind is uh, Gods and Monsters with uh, him and Ian McKellen. That was really, really good. And I think McKellen might have been Oscar nominated if Frazier wasn't. But it was almost like, hey, this is where Frazier could go. He could be more than just, you know, the mummy in George of the Jungle. And then, boom, he just disappears for 15, 20 years. Yeah, if you look at his awards and nominations, you know, he gets some 93, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 01, 02, 03, 04, 05, 06, all the way up to 09. And then nothing until this year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And again, not not his fault or not his choice. So he's talking about mental health stuff. You know, so it's almost like is there, is there parallels between Charlie and Brendan Fraser himself with just what he's had to go through in his real life. So, yeah. So as much as I said, I'm rooting for Colin Farrell. I won't be mad if uh, Brendan Fraser ends up with the win here. <laughs> uh, and actually, I'll, I'll be more likely to tear up if Brendan wins than if Colin wins. <laughs> oh, have you watched any of his uh, his award speeches for the oh, awards he's already no, won? No, I haven't. I haven't. Uh-huh. It'll make you cry just just okay. watching those. Okay. Yeah, they will. I I watched I watched one of them. I was like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to pull those up. That that yeah, I yeah. Mad, mad mad props to Brendan Fraser for sure. Okay, so yes, keeping the top three thing going, we're going to roll into Aaron's number three. Yeah, awesome. So mine is. It's called Happening is the the title of the film, and it's set in France in the early 1960s, and it's centered around a young student named Anne, and she has a promising future, but she becomes pregnant, and she knows this will write, you know, I guess, end her dreams of continuing schooling, and it's also illegal in France at the time. And so the story follows her basically as she navigates this. And I think I liked this film because the filmmaking itself added so much to the story. The cinematography was gorgeous and the shots were always so close in certain frames on Anne. And you felt that tension and that desperation as the film went along. It really ramped up like as she became more and more desperate. And the actress who played Anne did such a wonderful job. She was phenomenal in the film. That being said, it's not one I like recommend to watch in a sense because it was it was brutal to watch. It was so painfully graphic. Like, I never need to watch it again. Uh, but it was yeah. really important. It was super important. But especially, obviously, the climate here in the United States, like, very timely. Right. As a woman in the South, very timely. But, like, 
Oof. I don't need to see it again. You know what I mean? Like, I absolutely do not need to watch it again, but I really did enjoy it. Well, yeah. It was a good film. It was a good film. It was an important film. Yeah. En- enjoy is a tough word yeah, with, this, yeah. with this film. And uh, I'm going to assume I'm the only other one that's that's seen it. It uh, Honestly, everything Aaron said is spot on. It's powerful. It's important. It's not pulling up for me on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's 99 critic. 73 audience okay okay so yeah uncomfortably graphic and yeah. art but again super powerful the only reason i don't have it higher is it's not even the best foreign abortion film i've ever seen <laughs> oh yeah i, I would agree <laughs> so with that yeah that would go to uh that title would go still to uh four months three weeks yeah. two days. I w- yeah i was just gonna ask how similar is it to four months three weeks two days because when she was when aaron was uh Saying the de- the description, the premise, it sounded a lot like that, where it's and it, it takes it's like in the past too. It's like historical, oh, yes. right? Yes, yeah, it's the sixties. Yeah, nineteen right, early nineteen sixties. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah, it sounded a lot like that, where it's a foreign film dealing with abortion in an area where it's illegal and mm-hmm. right, right. And so yeah, it's so for me, it just didn't tread new ground. I'm like, oh, I've seen this before in other films, which does. I mean, that's not this film's responsibility to know what I've watched before, but it's just why I didn't necessarily have it. <laughs> Uh, have it have it higher myself but uh again it's another one in that next tier down just a very very tough tough watch very graphic i mean shoot like i was probably whatever it was 15 20 minutes in i'm like um how old is this actress i don't think we're supposed to be seeing this <laughs> also like i can't like even talking about it i get queasy certain scenes like ugh, they're so unsettling yeah, unsettling that's actually yeah. the best word yeah. for it yeah i i would yeah, hundred percent. It's yeah, it's uh, and the taboo. Cause like, so you kind of get the vibe too. And it is kind of interesting how every country pre legalization of abortion even had different stigmas. And I feel like, and again, I guess we weren't around the United States at the time either. But just how like her friends don't even want to have the conversation with her because they're worried they will go to jail just for talking to her yeah. about her possibly having an abortion. Like, it seems very, very draconian or whatever when they're worried about this. And I guess maybe the states were, or I guess, yeah, I don't know enough about how it was in the U.S. Or was it actually pre-Roe v. Wade still state-by-state in the U.S.? And so some states were still legal later? Yeah, I think so, yes. Versus this this feels more like you're in Iran all of a sudden, even though you're in France in in the 60s. yeah. And uh, yeah, even yeah, you have to use like coded language to kind of even arrange it. And people are going out on a limb to kind of help set her up with it. And then... Yeah, then you kind of almost get the real-time version of her having the abortion, which, again, is similar to what you see in uh, four months, three weeks, two days, uh, which I recommend that one as well. Yes. <laughs> as, as much as you can recommend foreign abortion dramas. To <laughs> yeah, that was pretty rough. Uh, but yes, it, it's an important women's right issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still important to check these things out and uh, just kind of remind us what's, what other others are having to deal with, even if we're more privileged or were more privileged until last summer. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, okay, so we are now going to kick it over to the next episode. I try to keep these about 90 minutes or so, so they are manageable. That was the first 20 of our 28, so look forward to part two of this conversation to hear us finish up our top movies of 2022.